Welcome to the Cornerstone Christian Center Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Jim Tarr. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit cccbasalt.com. Let's open our Bibles today in Matthew chapter 18, starting to read in verse 21, Matthew 18. Isn't it good to be a part of the God's family? Amen. And just to be able to observe what God's plan is for the future. So we have been looking at what it means to be a new believer with people coming to Christ recently. We've talked about things like our baptism and how powerful and important it is, how important it is for us to come together in communion. We also looked about the importance of the exchange life. I wish that every believer could understand that it's not, Christianity is not a journey of self-improvement, but it's actually learning to allow Christ to live through you and find that, the, that it is the glory of the Lord is the abiding Christ within you. And so it's so important. We looked at the power of prayer and the opportunity to pray and also to have the word of God. So today, what are we going to look at today? I want to look at today what can cause the greatest problem or um, confusion or even damage to your spiritual growth. And you might say to me, well, Pastor Jim, I can imagine that you could come up with a lot of things concerning that. But I would like to just present the idea today that there is one thing that I have noticed more than anything else that will crowd out the activity of the Holy Spirit in your life and also cause you to not make space for the Word of God to really thrive and to work inside of you. If you were to ask me, what is the one thing that I believe can hinder your spiritual growth I would say it's this, it's unforgiveness. So I want to take a moment today, just thinking about this, if I were to choose one thing, what is the issue that can cause you the greatest damage and setback in your spiritual growth? So let's turn in our Bibles to Matthew chapter 18, and I want to start reading in verse 21. Matthew chapter 18, verse 21, where Peter asks the Lord Jesus a question, and the Lord proceeds to answer it. Peter came up and said to Jesus, Lord, how many times shall my brother sin against me and I still forgive him? Up to seven times? Well, how many of us have asked that question? How many times should I forgive this person? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times. So, For this reason, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his slaves. And when he had begun to settle them, one who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. But since he did not have the means to repay, his master commanded that he be sold along with his wife and children and all that he had and repayment to be made. So the slave fell to the ground and prostrated prostrated himself before him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will repay you everything. And the master of that slave felt compassion, and he released him and forgave him the debt. But that slave went out and found one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii. And he seized him, and he began to choke him, saying, Pay back what you owe. So his fellow slave fell to the ground and began to plead with him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will repay you. 
But he was unwilling and went and threw him in prison until he could pay back what he owed. So when his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were deeply grieved and came and reported to their master all that had happened. Then summoning him, his master said to him, you wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should you not also have had mercy on your fellow slave in the same way that I had mercy on you? And his master, moved with anger, handed him over to the torturers until he would repay all that was owed him. My heavenly Father will also do the same to you if each of you does not forgive his brother from your heart. So, Father, I pray today for this, this understanding that we can receive from the word of the Lord. I know, Lord God, that there are people that have experienced things and betrayals and hurts and hardships that were brought by the hands of someone else. And I know, Lord God, that the feelings might be that that individual altered their life. But Lord God, today you have a word for them, a liberating word, a word that will set them free. And Father, the work of this can only be done by the power of the Holy Spirit. Deliver us all, Lord God, from unforgiveness and set us free, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. In that same chapter, in Matthew chapter 18, verse 7, Jesus said this, Woe to the world because of its stumbling blocks, for it is inevitable that stumbling blocks come, but woe to the person through whom the stumbling block comes. Jesus is speaking now and casting out the idea that, hey, woe to the whole world. This whole world is fraught with stumbling blocks, and they happen through the hands of individuals. Nothing will do you the level of harm or damage that a broken trust will do to you. Nothing can hurt you more. Nothing can actually alter the course of your life than a moment where someone really robbed you of something, um, betrayed you of something, lied about you. There's a lot of things that can happen. And Jesus said, you know, woe to the world, but woe to the person that brings the stumbling blocks. It tells me a couple of different things. First off, you're going to get hurt in this world. And that's just the truth. And also, you're going to hurt people. And that's also true. But the Bible just says this, that it's inevitable you're going to get offended. Let me say this. To our new believers and everybody who's known the Lord for a long time, you go to church long enough, you're going to get offended. That's just the bottom line. And you know, we all have a choice. We, we all have an opportunity to get offended. But the thing is, I can't stop the world and I can't stop the stumbling blocks and the people that hinder me. What is a stumbling block? It's something placed in your path that trip you up to keep you from entering into uh, uh, your heart's desire or even your God-given destiny. And the world will always be setting you up to cause you to stumble, to set you back, to rob you of your reputation. But the bottom line is this, people will set up stumbling blocks, but we have a choice on how we respond to it. I don't have a choice whether they set it up, but I do have a choice on how I responded. So the thing is this, people will offend you, but the bottom line is this, you don't have to remain offended. You don't have to. And for the sake of our own good, God would say to us, learn to forgive others, no matter what they've done to us. Because it's absolutely essential to our spiritual growth. 
<clears throat> if we don't forgive someone else, we think that we're hurting them. We, we give them the evil eye. We turn our back to them. We just do different things towards them, thinking we're hurting them. But actually, the biblical principle is we're hurting ourselves. It really concerns me when I even hear Christians say, I will never forgive them. Because to establish that declaration is to speak over our own lives a destruction. That the, the, the death of Christ came to minister forgiveness to us, but also through us. I want us to understand this. We damage the reception of God's forgiveness towards us when we don't allow God to forgive through us. And that's so important. Because we have entered into a covenant of forgiveness, not only of God forgiving us, but we have entered into a covenant where we agree that we will forgive others. This is now our new lifestyle. This is the kingdom of heaven. This is the kingdom that we have been established in. So when we were looking over the last several weeks, we talked about one of the things was the power of communion. And how important it is when we come together and eat the bread and we drink the cup, it actually releases the power of God through that obedience of faith. But let's understand what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 17. It says that how we come to the communion where we eat the bread and drink the cup will determine actually the blessing we get out of communion. But also I want us to understand that communion can release great trouble in us. And it can release trouble in the church if it's not received correctly. Well, where do I get that from? 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 17, the Apostle Paul says, Now in giving this next instruction, I do not praise you, because you come together not for the better, but for the worse. The Apostle Paul said, A church can come together, and it's not for the better it ends up actually being for the worse. We can't imagine that. We think, well, just by the effort of coming together, there might be something good to glean from it. But the Apostle Paul said a church gathering, a gathering of the saints, can do more harm than good. Imagine that. So he says this. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that divisions exist among you, and, and in part I believe it. For there also have to, there also have to be factions among you so that those who are approved may become evident among you. Therefore, when you come together, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper. For when you eat, each one takes his own supper first and one goes hungry while another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses in which to eat and drink? Or do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? What am I say to you? Shall I praise you? And this I do not praise you. In the book of Acts, the church would come together and they'd have a love feast. I mean, just think about it. They were all losing their jobs and their fortunes and everything to be a follower of Christ. They would come together. People were selling their properties in order to be able to 
um, get food into the church and they share it with one another. And the Apostle Paul says to them, but wait a minute, you come together to your love feast, you're taking the Lord's Supper, but some of you are running to the tables, you're gobbling up all the food, you're getting drunk on the wine. And the bottom line is this, he's saying it, you're, you would have been better off if you had not gathered in the first place because you're not showing a regard for one another. And then he says this, it's causing divisions among you. So the Apostle Paul says, what's going on? Don't you have food at home? Because isn't it the hungry, the less fortunate in your, in your church? They're not getting the first fruits of this coming together love feast. They're actually going home hungry, and it seems as though the people that are providing the food are making sure they get it first. And he says, what good is that? He says, you're despising the church of God, and you're bringing a shame on those who have nothing. And he says this, for this reason, many among you are weak and sick, and a number are asleep. But if we judge ourselves rightly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are disciplined by the Lord so that we will not be condemned along with the world. Now that's very enlightening there. It really is. He says that when you're coming together because you're violating each other, you're not being a family towards one another, you're not regarding each other. He says, actually, some of you are sick. Some of you are weak. And he says this, some of you have died. We're just saying to ourselves, no, wait a minute, what are we talking about here? What about the virtue of just coming to church on Sunday mornings and gaining, you know, the virtues of communion and the bread and of the cup? But we have to remind ourselves, it is called communion. In other words, we come together and we eat the bread and we drink the cup. You know why we do it together in communion? So that when we look around the room, we can be reminded, am I not in a right relationship with somebody here in the room? Or even stretching beyond that, am I in right relationship with the rest of the people that are walking this planet with me? Or am I holding something against someone else? The Lord's table is a celebration of forgiveness. If I have received forgiveness, then I have to administer forgiveness. And there's no indication that I have truly experienced the forgiveness of God if that experience does not provoke me to love the rest of the world and to forgive all that have offended me. Do we see what the scriptures are saying here? I want us to understand this, that the Apostle Paul actually links that when we are spiritually detached from what we know is true, the spiritual infection we introduce into ourselves will, can actually ultimately infect our physical bodies. When you walk in unforgiveness, it can bring a weariness. He says, some of you are weak. Some of you are so tired and you haven't even made the connection. It's because you're carrying the burden, the rehearsing of unforgiveness. It's bringing physical weakness. It's altering your body, which then is resulting in an actual physical sickness. And the Apostle Paul is saying this, you can become so obsessed with the harm that someone else did. You are not the perpetrator of it. You are the recipient of something evil. And yet you gave them the final say over the length of your life. You added an insult to yourself through their injury that you caused to yourself to where you lost your life early because you wouldn't forgive. You do no harm to the other individual when you don't forgive them. And I just want to say this, and I've said it before, but Pam and I, is coming on 30 years of ministry together, 
have come to realize we have seen, and ladies, I'm going to tell you this, because, you, because your relationships are more important than, than um, maybe men, just the truth, we have seen several women who were in such a difficult marriage and such a heartbreaking relationship that because of the damage that was done, they were taken before it was their time. And I just want to say this, you have to, for the sake of your own spiritual and physical well-being, you have to be able to forgive and to release the damage that was done to you. It's not just about your spiritual growth, it's also about your physical survival. Well, think about it. When you, all, when you are altered in your opinions of someone else, what you can feel it physically. You can feel it in your gut. There can be a trembling of your hands. You alter yourself physically if you do not release your fellow man. And listen, I know, I know that I'm speaking to people that have had horrific things that have happened to them. But I would just want you, for the sake of yourself, for the sake of your physical well-being and for your soul and spirit, release that person. Well, we also saw it when we looked at the power of prayer in Luke chapter 11, verse 4. Part of the prayer that Jesus gave us was this, forgive us our sins, for we ourselves also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. Everyone. Not just the people who asked us to forgive them, for the sake of our soul, whether they came back and asked you, would you please forgive me for what I did? Jesus said we must tie the reception of our forgiveness to the forgiveness of others. Well, you just say, what's the principle behind that? In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. I'm always aware of the fact, and so are you, that someday I'm going to give an account to God for how I lived my life. The Bible says and taught to us by Jesus that even the hidden things are going to be revealed. And in the awareness of that, I want the forgiveness of the Lord. I want the Lord, while I've been trying to figure figure everything out, I want him to, when I stand before him, to know that I have been completely forgiven. And the Lord says that if I have been forgiven, they are cast into the sea of God's forgetfulness and they'll not be remembered against me again. I want always to keep myself right before the Lord. Even when I was a little kid, I used to pray constantly, Lord, forgive me. Forgive me for something that I've done. If I did something wrong, immediately my conscience was, was pricked. And then when I realized that, that Jesus forgave me from the very beginning as a little child to this day and even in the future, I want that, I want that forgiveness where he is forgotten and it will never be brought up to me again. And the Lord says, if I want that kind of mercy, I have to give that kind of mercy. If I want that kind of forgiveness, I have to give that kind of forgiveness. See, the most important thing is is that I walk in such a way that I remind myself the way I treat every other human being, it is not my place to bring up their sins, their faults, or their past. What's so important is, you know what, don't we do that sometimes? Someone did something wrong to us, and then what do we do? We bring up something, they bring up something that we did wrong, and then what is our our, our recourse? And it's all through our culture now. 
well, what about what you did this? Amen. Have you ever played the what about game, right? Everybody's playing it right now. Have you ever been tempted to, when someone hurts you, to remind them of how they hurt someone else or how they hurt you? We need to get to the point where the Holy Spirit stops us and we realize no matter what they said to us to hurt us or to point out our flaws, do not point their flaws back to them. Do you know why? They might have gone to Jesus with that sin. And Jesus might have forgiven them. Well, if they went to him, he did. And what we did was we reminded the Lord of a sin that had been forgiven because the Lord had forgiven them. And what we do when we do that is we have entered into the work of the accuser of the brethren. Do not, when you have been hurt, bring up other people's sins because that is not the role of the forgiven. The forgiven understands something. I have let it go. How many times in an argument and in the heat of it do we remind someone, and sometimes it's a spouse that we should be the last person that it happens with. Sometimes it's a child. What do we do? We get into an argument, and what, do we, what is the temptation? To remind them of something they did in the past. And I'm telling you, when we hear ourselves saying something that was done in the past, we have to realize we have not understood fully the forgiveness of Christ towards us. If we have forgiven someone, we are not allowed to bring it up again. Uh, never. It has to be let go. And listen, I'm not preaching at you. I'm preaching at me. If you pick up something along the way, we're all good to go, right? It's so important. Let's remind ourselves what the Scripture teaches us. 1 Corinthians 13 says that love does not take account what does it mean? Love does not keep a list. Yeah. Am I the only one in the room that when there's a buildup of offense, that somehow in our minds we rehearse over and over again so that we don't miss a point? <laughs> the entire list of what they've done against us? So that if we need to make our case with them, we're ready to go. Right? It's not just a single shot, one-off thing. No, no, no. We've got a machine gun ready. And we are just going to, and the Bible says this, so love does not keep a list. You know why love does not keep a list? Because it can't keep a list. You know why? Because as soon as the offense happens, you have to just let it go. In the teaching that we just read here, Lord, how many times are you supposed to forgive a man? Up to seven times? And Jesus says, in some places, 77, other places, 70 times 7. The Lord is reminding us here in this scripture that you can build up a list to the point where it has become almost impossible for you ultimately then to release them. The rehearsal has become so ingrained that when we see them, we, we see them, and then we're like, bam, 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 all the way down. But Jesus is reminding us, how should we 
retreating when someone has hurt us. So Peter goes to him, Lord, should I just forgive him seven times? Because Jesus said you should forgive a man seven times in the, in the same day if he comes back and asks you to forgive him. Seven times in the same day. So Peter says, should I forgive him 77 times? He says, no, 77 times. Or what about this other one? Jesus says, no, 70 times 7. 490 times you should forgive somebody. And when you think about that, we just think, well, I'm not, I have no intentions of playing the fool. But the bottom line is this. Was God a fool when he loved us? Is God a fool every time we're trying to work things out, trying to figure things out? How many times have you come to the Lord over the same thing? And what does he do? What does he do for us? He said if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. See, because God doesn't forgive us according to the level of our repentance and just saying, oh, let's see if it's genuine. No, you come to the Lord and you confess your sins. He is faithful. That's what's amazing to me. I read stories in the Old Testament about King Ahab. Now, Jesus knew what he was going to do the next day, but he would come to him today knowing that tomorrow, the Lord knew that tomorrow he's going to do the same thing again. But he, if Ahab came to the Lord today and he confessed his sins, God forgave him every time. That kind of forgiveness shocks me. That's a forgiveness you can't find amongst humanity. That's a divine forgiveness that we have been called to. And it's absolutely amazing. Jesus said 70 times 7. When I think about that, I know that sometimes they only hurt you once, but it takes 490 times to forgive them. It really does. The devil will come to you and he'll just remind you throughout the day. And so you're doing fine, Lord, I forgive them and I forget it. An hour later, you're remembering it. And then what do you do? You say, Lord, I forgive them again, Lord God. I don't want that in my heart. Someone mentioned to me after first service that they had heard someone say, time heals all wounds. Well, how you use that time will heal all wounds. But actually, time can cause the wounds to go deeper. And the Lord just says, forgive them 490 times. Have you ever been hurt at such a level where you can manage it during the day, but then you fall asleep and your brain goes wherever it wants and you wake up in the middle of the night and you're all like, turned upside down. <clears throat> what do you have to do? You have to forgive him again. Oh, but it was only one thing. I forgave him a few, but I always want to ask you this. Does the devil keep bringing that thing up into your heart to where it's altering your spiritual condition and even your physical condition? The Lord just would ask us, if you're going to use time to heal your wounds, then spend that time that every time the memory comes back, you say, I am determined at this moment, I will forgive them again, and I'm going to forget it. I want you to know and understand this, is that eventually the pain will go away if you use God's medicine. So when God says 70 times 7 or 77 times or 7 times in a day, what is he just saying? There's no real number. It's just infinite. I can't imagine how many thoughts go through the mind of God every day as he is forgiving the world for all they do. If you were to ask yourselves, why are you saying that forgiveness is the most important thing? I'm saying it because probably God exercises more time doing that than anything else. Yeah. 
just forgiving. So let's get rid of our scorecards. Let's look at forgiveness as an opportunity to be like Jesus. Now I have a chance to be able to show to another human being what God has shown to this human being. Unmerited favor and love. Jesus talks about a parable and he says, for this reason the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his slaves. I want us to understand today that when you gave your life to Jesus, you became part of a kingdom. And it's called the kingdom of heaven. It means that heaven is your destiny. And it means that heaven is your path. And it means to be like the king is your top priority. And it says concerning this passage, when it comes to the kingdom of heaven, the king does something that's a top priority. He comes to make an account of every human being. I want us to understand in order to enter into the kingdom of heaven, God says, but there's an account and we've got to reconcile this. What we need to understand is this, is that God is saying to us, is that when we come to the Lord, when we come to Jesus Christ, we have to understand something, that we are in great debt to God. When I sinned against God, I did damage to the universe. God, when he created all things, he said he saw that everything was good. And at the end, after he had made man, he said he saw that it was very good. I live in a world where God created humanity, and he said they're very good. That's the place from which God works. But something happened. Man decided to sin against God, and a huge debt was brought to humanity, and I entered into that huge debt before God. As I'm looking at this, I understand this. God had a perfect universe, and what did I do when I sinned? I robbed God, because all of creation is meant to give praise and glory to God. When I sinned along with humanity, God was robbed of all of his riches and wealth meant to be reflected on this planet. I entered into the robbing of God. And that's why the first thing that I do is I come to the Lord and I confess to him that I have sinned. Just like this man was a slave of the king and the king comes to him, part of the kingdom of heaven, and it says, when he had begun to settle the debt of man, one who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. Now, when you think about that amount of money, just imagine today that people were not as wealthy as they are today around the world. As well, they, they weren't as impoverished as during the time of Jesus. What they have estimated is that it would take about a thousand lifetimes to be able to pay back this debt. When I realize of all that Christ has forgiven me, I could work a thousand years to try to pay off my debt, and it wouldn't be enough. That's why Jesus Christ came, and the Bible says that I wasn't redeemed with corruptible things like silver and gold but I was redeemed with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. You know, you think about what's going on in the stock markets around the world and investments and monies and all those kind of things. Can you imagine this? If the blood of Jesus Christ had been shed in order for people to be forgiven and to have eternal life, 
But if that was not given to people just because they asked the Lord for forgiveness, how much would the blood of Jesus cost on the world market today if you had to pay for it? How much would it cost? What would people be willing to pay for the blood of Jesus in order to get eternal life and enter into heaven? That's the price that Jesus paid. The blood of Jesus Christ paid off our debt in full, in full. We are completely forgiven. Our sins not to be brought against us. Jesus gives us this parable and lets us know that a man said, I'll pay off the debt. I'll repay you. The man came to the King Jesus falling down prostrate. I've been battling that all day. He falls down prostrate with his legs spread and his arms spread and his face in the dirt. And he says to the Lord, have patience with me and I'll repay you everything. Really? Just be patient with me, Lord, and I'll be able to give to you a thousand lifetimes worth of earnings? Isn't that amazing? Because if God gave him a second lifetime, to pay off his debt, he would have only accumulated more sins, not more payment. It would have only increased his debt. What's amazing to me, though, is that man came to the Lord with an imperfect repentance because he still had somewhere in his heart the idea that he could pay back God. And that was going to end up being his problem. But when the Lord saw him in the middle of his misery, where sin had caught up to him, it says that the King found compassion on him, and he released him, and he forgave his debt. Just a reminder for me that when I asked Jesus to forgive me of all my sins, it wasn't the level of my understanding, because this guy didn't get it really yet, but it was all rooted in the compassion and the love of God for me. God loved me, and he was looking for anything that would indicate that I was willing to receive his forgiveness. And because of that man laying out before the Lord, God forgave him his debt. So Jesus has come to settle accounts. So as I read further in this passage, it says this, but that slave went out and found one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii. That's about two months' salary. He had been forgiven a thousand lifetimes of debt, and he found someone who owed him two months, and he seized him and began to choke him. And when I think about this, I just can't help but realize is that in, when we get into a dark place of unforgiveness, human beings will do to each other and say things to each other that even God, who has the right to, will not violate. It's a dark road that we go down. He sees the man by the neck and he starts to choke him and he says, pay back what you owe. So his fellow slave fell to the ground and began to plead with him saying, have patience with me and I will repay you. The truth of the matter is that the first man could have never paid back the Lord. The truth of the matter is this man could have paid back the man who had been forgiven. 
But the man was unwilling, it says, and went and threw him in prison until he had paid back what he owed. What's amazing about this is, yes, the second man owed the first man two months' rent. But the first man took him and threw him into prison until he could pay back what he owed. Now think about that for a moment. If someone owes you two months of debt, how's he going to pay you back if you threw him into prison? The thing about unforgiveness is this, is that we have placed them in a cage that if there's unforgiveness, they will never be able to get out of that cage. No matter how hard they try, we have caged them. In other words, we have to realize this. Forgiving them is solely within us. It has nothing to do with their ability to pay us back. It is all rooted in our willingness to say, I release you and I forgive you and I'm not bringing it up again. Because when you have decided, I just can't forgive them, you will lock them into a place and they will be held there indefinitely and no matter how hard they try, until you release them, they're not going to get free. The bottom line is this. When I grow accustomed to not forgiving someone, I, they can actually make restitution to me, but it won't be enough. Because the problem is really in me, and it's not in them. So I've got to let them go. So then looking further in this situation, it says this. So when his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were deeply grieved and came and reported to their master all that had happened. I just want to think for a moment about what affects the rest of the people when we don't forgive somebody. When the first man came to the king and said, would you, I, I don't have any money to pay him back. The king said to him, I'm going to throw you, and I'm going to throw your wife, and I'm going to throw your children into jail. Just a reminder to all of us is that when we sinned, we affected everyone who's closest to us and even beyond. Our debt becomes our family debt. Our sins become our children's sins. Our sins become our wife's sins. Our sins become our husband's sins. When we came to the Lord Jesus Christ, we were asking him to do this. Would you clean up all my mess and all the mess that I created in those who were near me? God, I need your mercy. So the second, the man who is forgiven, the first man, finds another man and he throws him into the debtor jail. And what do we find out there? We find out that everyone that was observing him was also affected, and they were deeply troubled because unforgiveness was happening. I want you to know this. When unforgiveness hits a church body, it affects everything. I, I'm speaking from experience when I say this. Whenever there's trouble in the church, after 30 years, I can always guarantee you there's something going on inside the church body. There always is. 
People don't make the association or anything. But I've learned over all these years that when there is unforgiveness of one person towards another person, actually it shuts down the spiritual activity through that body, primarily manifesting itself in that people stop getting saved. And it's so important that when this man threw this other slave into jail and said, I'm going to keep you there till I can pay you back, it says that all the other slaves then became grieved, and they began to report it to the master. Then summoning him, his master said to him, you wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not also have had mercy on your fellow slave? in the same way that I had mercy on you. And his master moved with anger, handed him over to the torturers until he would repay all that was owed him. My heavenly Father will also do the same to you if each of you does not forgive his brother from the heart. So the Lord said to him, you didn't show mercy to someone else, and you have positioned yourself now to not experience the fullness of my mercy and blessing. What a sight. But you know what's tragic through all this story? The tragedy is this. The first man who owed a great debt got forgiven, and he was free. Someone else hurt him, though. It's like someone else in the church hurt a forgiven man. He went and threw the brother in jail. He bound him. He caught, when, when we don't forgive someone else, we put them in a cage, they stop growing, they stop flourishing, they stop walking in their calling and destiny within that group, within that church. But not only is the tragedy that one man ended up, one man ended up in jail, the other man, the original man, ended up tortured. When we don't forgive someone else, the only person that ends up tortured is ourselves. And not only are you, um, like we think, oh, that person, you know, he's just not being kind or not being merciful. No, the Lord said the end result for that person, well, they, they will enter into a tortured state where the conflict from being forgiven and not willing to forgive actually begins to torment them. Here's the whole thing. Two men ended up in bondage just because there was no forgiveness. But had each person received forgiveness and forgiven, other, uh, forgiven others, everyone would have been free. Do you want everyone in your church to be free? Everyone forgive. You want everyone in your, you want your wife and your children, you want them to be right, you want God to restore, to redeem, then just receive the forgiveness of God and the complete mercy of God and extend that forgiveness and mercy to everybody else. It'll set you free. It'll set your spouse free. It'll set your children free. And it will also set free the person who offended you because what do you ultimately want? You want them to come to Christ and you want them in heaven. I don't care what they did to you. Ultimately, the solution for them is that they would be forgiven and living in heaven. Can you say amen? amen? Let's all stand up together. Father, I thank you for the word of the Lord, and I thank you for the forgiveness of Christ today and all that he has done for us. Yes. 
I know there's not a single person in this room that hasn't had an opportunity to forgive someone else. Just asking, who hurt you that you haven't let go of? Christ wants to deliver you from that. He wants to set you free, and he wants to set that person free. How painful was it? I want you to know this. If you forgive someone, it doesn't mean that you are endorsing what they did or you're saying it's okay. It has nothing to do with that. Forgiveness has nothing to do with validating them. Forgiveness is you as a recipient of the forgiveness of Christ being willing to walk in a way that looks like Jesus. So if you're here today and you need to forgive someone, let's just bow our heads and close our eyes. Are you willing to make a declaration with me to just say, Lord God, as I have been forgiven, I forgive everyone who has hurt me. Are you willing to make that declaration? Then what I want you to do is to repeat this prayer with me. Say, God in heaven, thank you for loving me so much that you paid a thousand lifetimes of debt. Thank you for having mercy on me. I didn't deserve it, but you forgave me of all my sins. Lord Jesus, I come to you, my king. I've entered your kingdom. My goal is to be like you. As you have forgiven me, I forgive everyone, everyone who has hurt me. I'll not bring it up again. I release them, God. I don't put them in jail. I forgive them. God, I pray, let me never bring it up again. And let me honor you by being a merciful and gracious child of the King. In Jesus' name, amen. With your head bowed and eyes closed, is there anyone here that needs Jesus as their Savior? If you want to be forgiven of all your sins and all your past, listen, I needed it. We all needed it. The Bible says all have sinned and come short of God's glory. No one's righteous, not even one. He's come. I don't care if, if you have a thousand lifetimes of sin racked up. Jesus has come to forgive it. If you want to receive Jesus as your Savior today, you can invite him into your heart. I'm going to close in a prayer. If you'd like to say, Pastor Jim, I want to make today my day of salvation, I'm going to ask you to do something. I'm going to ask you to raise up your hand just before the Lord and just saying, I want, I want to be a Christian today. I want to be a follower of Christ. And then if you raise your hand, I'm going to invite you to step out of your seat and come forward in front of the church. I did it. The Lord said if we confess him before men, he'll confess us before the Father. If you need Jesus today, would you just lift up your hand saying, Pastor Jim, I want to be saved today. I want to know that I'm right with God. I want to have all doubt gone. I want to know that I know I'm right with the Lord. If that's you, would you lift up your hand? Acknowledging your need. So, Father, I just bless everyone that's come here today. I bless them, Lord God. I bless them with the blessings of the kingdom of God, with, with peace and joy, health and healing and 
the supernatural provision of God and your protection. I pray, Lord God, that they would walk in your calling and destiny. I pray, Lord God, that they would hear your voice, Lord. They'd be tuned to your voice. I pray, Father, that they would walk humbly before you. They'd be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. Bless this congregation, Lord. Bless this church. I pray that we'd be known by our love for one another and we'd be known by our forgiveness of each other. And I just thank you, Lord, for what you're doing. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Our elders will be here in the front. If you need prayer for anything, please come forward. Let them pray for you no matter what the need is. God bless you all. Thank you for coming today. Lord be with you. Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. This weekly podcast can be heard on our cccbasalt.com website, the CCC Basalt app, or your favorite podcast platform. If you'd like to support our efforts financially, you have the opportunity to give at cccbasalt.com forward slash give.